Welcome to the preaching podcast of Life Point Church. We're so glad you've joined us here. If you're ever in the Baton Rouge area, please stop by. We'd love to meet you. For more information on our church or Pastor Donovan, please visit our website at golifepoint.com. We're going into the book of Daniel tonight. This is the Daniel Chronicles. <clears throat> this is part 16. This is chapter 9, part 3. And tonight we will get to chapter 10. Part 1. So let me say a prayer. We'll do a little review and introduction, and then we'll jump right in. Father, thank you so much for your faithfulness, your goodness. In the book of Daniel, I pray that you would help us to see some truths that are profound and powerful, God. And we give you praise for that in Jesus' name. Everybody say amen. <clears throat> Verses 24 through 26 of Daniel 9, 70 weeks are determined for your people and for your holy city to finish the transgression, to make an end of sins, to make reconciliation for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up vision and prophecy, to anoint the most holy. Know therefore and understand that from going, from the going forth of the command to restore and build Jerusalem until Messiah the Prince, there shall be seven weeks and sixty-two weeks. The street will be built again and the wall even in troublesome times. And after the 62 weeks, Messiah shall be cut off, but not for himself. And the people of the prince who is to come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. The end of it shall be with a flood until the end of the war. Desolations are determined. So this is Daniel's 70 weeks that are famous in Bible prophecy. Gabriel told Daniel that 69 units of seven years or 483 years would pass from the time of the command recorded in Nehemiah 2, 1 through 8. You can go look it up. To build the streets, the walls of Jerusalem until the appearance of Messiah, the prince. We saw that 483 years were completed at the triumphal entry of Jesus into Jerusalem. There's this guy named Sir Robert Anderson. He was the chief inspector of Scotland Yard. You can go look him up. He's still got some books out there that you can buy. And in the late 1800s, incidentally, he was presiding during the Jack the Ripper murders. But in the late 1800s, in 1894, actually, he published a book entitled The Coming Prince. And it made the case for what I believe to be just an incredible, astounding, precise Prediction. Sir Robert Anderson made the case for it. And he used a 360-day year, which Israel used in Daniel's time, you know, because a year can be, you know, a different designation depending on what part of history you're looking at. But 360 years is what they used back then. And, and he calculated 173, 880 days from the decree that Artaxerxes made until the triumphal entry in other words, he made the case and it stood the test of time. Uh, one writer I was reading after made it clear that no one's really been able to undo what Sir Robert Anderson discovered in Scripture. He made the case that, that Jesus coming into Jerusalem on that particular day fulfilled this ancient prophecy to the very day. It's amazing. So a Gentile king, Artaxerxes, makes a decree 483 years later to the day, Jesus rides into Jerusalem on the foal of a donkey as Messiah, 
the prince and presented himself as Messiah the prince to Israel. And that word prince meaning the king. William Newell says, there was only one occasion in our Lord's earthly ministry on which he depicted as presenting himself openly as Zion's king, the so-called triumphal entry, recording in each one of the Gospels and fulfilling Zechariah 9.9 and Psalm 118.26. And on that day, we looked at the fact that Jesus deliberately set all of this up so he could ride in on that particular day. There's such an emphasis on that particular day. And on that day, Jesus welcomed praise instead of shutting people up. Remember the children said, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. The religious got all mad. What do you think you're doing? And he said, if they hold their peace, the stones will cry out. And, and that day was, was referred to, Jesus said, you can look it up, Luke 19. He said, Jerusalem, if you had only known of this day, your day of visitation, it was a day that was emphasized in the prophecy. Why was he doing that? He knew exactly what he was doing. He knew exactly the timing. He's uh, got this problem. He thinks he's God. He had spoken it ahead of time, and he was fulfilling the prophecy. John Trapp, another guy I read after, noted that the prophecy is so fulfilled that, this, that, that some Jewish scholars say this, by the evidence of those words, uh, of these words, have been compelled, some Jews have been compelled to confess Messiah is already come, and that he was that Jesus whom their forefathers crucified. It was such a precise, just nailing of prophecy. So notice it says the street will be built again in the wall, even in troublesome times. The indication is that the rebuilding of the streets and walls would happen in the first seven weeks. Everybody say seven weeks. These weeks can get confusing, but the first seven weeks then they would be followed by another 62 weeks of years until the coming of Messiah. So the 70 weeks are divided into three parts. Number one, the seven weeks. That's 49 years. It's, it's, it's 49 years until the city and its walls are rebuilt. This is during the time in your Bible of Ezra, Nehemiah, and some others. Then there are 69 weeks. That's the first seven plus the next 62. That's 483 years from the decree of Artaxerxes until Messiah the prince appears, the triumphal entry. And the third division is this, a final 70th week to be completed. It's not been completed yet. So I would argue, you know, you can make the case, there's, there's hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of prophecies that were fulfilled with the first coming of Jesus. And so there are even more prophecies of his return. And so if the first ones came to pass, how certain is it that the next ones will come to pass, that Jesus will return? And part of his return involves this, this 70th week of Daniel. So notice, and after the 62 week, that's from week seven, so we get the total of the 69 there. But after the 62 week, Messiah shall be cut off, but not for himself. And the people of the prince who is to come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. It's interesting. The end of it shall be with a flood until the end of the war. Desolations are determined. 
So after the 62 weeks Messiah is cut off, cut off is a term for executed, he will be executed. And it's not for himself but for others. It's Jesus lays his life down for others. And, and so the, it says that they shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. After Messiah is cut off, Jerusalem and the temple would be destroyed. And it's with an overwhelming army with a flood. And that was fulfilled in 70 A.D. Everybody say 70 A.D. We're going to cruise through this. We're going to get through this. As a matter of fact, I told somebody tonight I'm going to be preaching short because I walked out of the door smelling chicken and dumplings, fried okra, and honey butter biscuits. But I did not get to partake of any of it. And that's all I could think of, right? Here I am in the 70 weeks of Daniel. So, <laughs> so you have this idea of the, the, the city being destroyed, Jerusalem and the temple being destroyed in 70 AD. Jesus had, full, had promised this. Not one stone will be left on another. We know that was fulfilled with Titus. We've looked at that before. The people of the prince who is to come shall destroy the temple in Jerusalem. So the destroying army is made up of the people of the prince who is to come. That's another prince. The prince who is to come. This prince is not the Christ. This prince now spoken of in the 70th week is the Antichrist. Robert Anderson's book was called The Coming Prince. That's what it was about. And we're going to see this in the very next verse, verse 27. Then he, the Antichrist, shall confirm a covenant with many for one week, Daniel's 70th week. But in the middle of the week he shall bring an end to sacrifice and offering. The middle of the week, three and a half years into it. And on the wing of abominations shall be one who makes desolate even until the consummation, which is determined, is poured out on the desolate. He shall confirm a covenant. The he in this verse is the Antichrist, the prince who is to come, mentioned in the previous verse. And since we know that the prince's people destroyed Jerusalem in 70 A.D. or C.E., the modern modern terminology there, then we know this coming prince has ancestral roots in the soil of the ancient Roman Empire. So the Antichrist will in some way be an heir to the Romans, even as the final world government is an heir to the Roman Empire. We looked at that, the legs of iron, the feet and toes of iron and clay. Are you with me? Isn't this exciting? Yeah. He shall confirm a covenant with many for one week. So the Antichrist will make a covenant with Israel. Okay, we'll talk about that in a moment. For the final unit of seven years, completing that 70th week of Daniel. And, and this idea of a covenant with many, many here is a specific reference to Israel. Not a general reference to, to everybody, but the, the ancient Hebrew says a covenant with the many. It has that definite article in front of it, the many, meaning Israel. So with this covenant, Israel will embrace the Antichrist as a political Messiah 
and some will even see him as their literal prophesied Messiah. And Jesus predicted this in John 5. You remember this. He said, I have come in my Father's name, and you do not receive me. If another comes in his own name, you will receive him. Speaking of the Antichrist, David Guzik says this, taking the description of what would be accomplished in the 70 weeks from Daniel 9.24, we know that the 70 weeks are not yet complete. Yet the events promised in the first 69 weeks are fulfilled, indicating that there is a lengthy pause in the 70 weeks between the 69th week and the 70th week. He goes on, the 70th week will begin when the coming prince shall confirm a covenant with the Jewish people. These gaps and pauses in prophecy may seem strange to us, but they're part of the prophetic picture. Let me give you an example. Isaiah 9, 6 says, let, let me read it to you. Isaiah 9, 6, and you'll see what I'm talking about because you're like, you're like, are you serious? So you got 69 weeks, and, and we're waiting on that 70th week, and it's, there's a 2,000-year pause here? So, so what gives? Is that the way prophecy works? Yes. Yeah, very often that is the way prophecy works. Listen to Isaiah 9, 6. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. Upon the throne of David and over his kingdom, to order it and establish it with ju judgment and justice from that time forward, even forever the zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. And then Luke chapter 1, let me go over here, Matthew, Mark, Luke. Luke chapter 1. Verses 31 through 33 says this, And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son, and he shall, you shall, uh, and shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Highest, and the Lord, of, uh, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. I'm just going to tell you right now, Jesus, he reigns, yes, but on this planet, these scriptures have yet to be fulfilled. He's not sat on the throne of his father David yet, but he will. So we have a gigantic gap. We have part of the prophecy fulfilled in that Jesus came in that he suffered, in that he died, in that he rose from the dead, in that he ascended, in that he's seated at the right hand of the Father, waiting, the scripture says, and expecting until his enemies be made his footstool. And then one day, the kingdoms of this world will become the kingdoms of our God and of his Christ, and of the increase of his government and kingdom, there shall be no end. So we have a gap in the prophecies. Jesus was prophesied to come the first time he did, but he's coming another time too. And he's going to establish his kingdom forever and ever. So we have this gap. So it may seem weird to us, but it is part of the prophetic when it comes to scripture. Are you with me? Do you see that? So God appointed 490 years. Check it. 
check it out. Look at it like this. God appointed 490 years of special focus on Israel in his redemptive plan. And, and those years then were put on pause when Israel proper rejected their Messiah, Jesus the Christ. So now there's no special focus on Israel in God's redemptive plan because this is the church age. But God's focus will return to Israel once the church has been taken away or raptured and that last seven years of man's rule on earth begins. So the Antichrist is going to make a covenant and then in the middle of the seven years, the making of that covenant, that the Antichrist, you know, when he makes that covenant with Israel, that's the beginning of the seven years, which is known scripturally as the tribulation. And then in the middle of that, in the three and a half year mark, he will break the covenant. And it's going to be fascinating. The book of Revelation sees the seven year period with both of its halves, three and a half and three and a half years, as being future events. You can look it up, Revelation 12 and 6, 13 through 14, and then Revelation 13, 5 through 9, and 14 through 15. And in the middle of the week, the and the end of the sacrifice, it speaks of, it's not, it had not happened in 90 uh, AD when John was writing the book of Revelation, and it's not happened yet. So you've got this idea of on the wing of abominations shall be one who makes desolate. The, the, the terminology, abomination of desolation. We've seen this before. Jesus spoke of this. We see this in Revelation. We see this in the book of Daniel. Abominations, ancient Hebrew always connected with horrific idolatry. We talked about Antiochus Epiphanes. The idea is that the coming prince is going to break the covenant, bring an end to sacrifice and offering by desecrating the holy place, the most holy place on earth will be that third temple with a holy of holies that's in it. So let me talk about this for a moment. There have been two temples in Jerusalem. How many of you know who built the first temple? Solomon. Solomon built the first temple. And then there was this country called Babylon, they came in and destroyed it, destroyed the temple. Well, then there was a, a second temple that was built. How many of you know the name of the guy that built it? Come on, Nick. What? Who built the second temple in Jerusalem? This, these are historical facts. I heard several names. Starts with a Z. Zerubbabel. Zerubbabel. Who got that right? <laughs> That's not fair. That's right. She wrote them. That's right. She wrote the notes. Zerubbabel built the second temple. So you have the first temple. Now check it out. Because these are huge things we're talking about. Monumental things. Remember, Moses got the plan for... A tabernacle. The tabernacle was these skins and it was, I call it the mobile home of, of God. It was a mobile home. It was like a fifth wheel. And they toted it all over the desert, all over the wilderness. 
And David brought that mobile home into Jerusalem when he defeated the Jebusites and made Jerusalem the capital as king. And, and he brings that, 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 mobile, that mobile home into Jerusalem and he says, God, I have a palace that I live in. I want to build you a permanent dwelling instead of this tent, this tent. And so the Lord says, David, you can't do it. You got blood on your hands. You're a man of war, but I want you to gather the materials. So David gets busy about collecting the building materials. And then his son does build that first temple, Solomon. And they dedicate the temple and the presence of the Lord comes in. And it's so thick that the priest can't even minister. It's so powerful. It was one of the seven wonders of the world. The queen of Sheba heard about it, came up to see it, passed out, fainted. When she came to with smelling salts and stuff, she's like, the half has not been told. She was blown away. It was, it was an incredible place, Solomon's temple. But then Babylon comes in and absolutely raises the place, R-A-Z-E, raises the place, destroys Solomon's temple. And the, the Jews are so disheartened because that, that it was, was the house that David had prepared. It's the house that Solomon built. The Lord's presence was there, and now it's gone. They wanted it back. And so Zerubbabel would come in, and he would begin to build that temple. Now, Zerubbabel's temple was a lesser temple. You can see this in Ezra, Nehemiah, some other places. Zerubbabel's temple was a lesser temple. And at the dedication of Zerubbabel's temple, the young priest shouted and rejoiced, ran the aisles, man, went crazy. They were so excited. We finally got a temple. They had never seen a temple before. But the old men who had been in Solomon's temple 70 years prior or so, they wept. And the reason they wept was because it was not as elaborate, it was not as impressive, and it did not have an Ark of the Covenant. So the, the young men shouted, the old men wept. Nevertheless, the Bible said that the glory of the former house would be greater than that, uh, the, the, the glory of the latter house would be greater than that of the former house. In other words, Zerubbabel's temple would be greater than Solomon's temple. Are you kidding me? You know, it's, it's, like, it's like the glory of the chapel will be greater than that of the main building here at LifePoint. Kidding me? You been in the chapel lately? You been under the chapel lately? So the glory of the latter house is greater than that of the former? Ah, but it was. Because a man named Herod the Great remodeled Zerubbabel's temple hundreds of years later, added on to it, and made it this massive building. Now, it still had no Ark of the Covenant. It still wasn't as glorious as Solomon's per se, but it was huge. Huge. In the outer court, you get 100,000 people in it. It was massive. But I'll tell you why it was more glorious than Solomon's. Solomon's may have had the Ark of the Covenant, 
but Zerubbabel's remodeled by Herod's had Jesus the Christ. That's the temple that he ministered in. When he cleansed the temple and kicked out the money changers, it was that temple. When he went to temple, that's where he went. So he is what the Ark of the Covenant represented. And he came suddenly to his temple, to his house. You'll remember he called it his house. He kicked out the money changers. He said, my house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations, but you have made it a den of thieves. He called it my house, my house. The Bible says that the Lord came suddenly to his house. That was Jesus Christ. But then at the end, he looks over Jerusalem, going back to that triumphal entry. He would, at the end of that, look over Jerusalem and weep and cry and say, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, thou that killest the prophets, how often I would have gathered you as a chicken would gather her chicks under her wings, but you wouldn't, you wouldn't take advantage of the safe place I was offering you. Behold, your house is left unto you desolate or empty. I'm gone. You can have, you want to play games? You want to play church? You can do it. I'm out of here. So that second temple, that second temple, Zerubbabel's temple, remodeled by Herod, is the one that Titus, the Roman general Titus, destroyed in 70 A.D. But let me show you this, because we'll see this in a moment. In the book of 1 Thessalonians, Speaking of the Antichrist, actually I believe it's Second uh, Thessalonians. Second Thessalonians 2, verse 1. Listen to this. Are you with me? Are you on the edge of your seat? Oh, I'm excited about this. Verse 1. Now, brethren, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together to him, we ask you not to be soon shaken in mind or troubled either by spirit or by word or by letter as if from us as though the day of Christ had come. So the church at Thessalonica had gotten word of a fake letter supposedly from Paul that had said, hey, Jesus has already returned. <laughs> it's like that old song, you know. Uh, you've been left behind, you know, which was a movie also, you know, one day too late. Like, and, and so they were depressed. They're like, Jesus already came. And so he's like, don't listen. You need to, don't be ignorant. Don't be shaken as if that day's already come. Let no one deceive you. Remember we talked about the last days are earmarked by deception. Let no one deceive you by any means for that day will not come unless the falling away comes first and the man of sin is revealed, the son of perdition, that's Antichrist. Everybody say Antichrist. Now that, that language, the falling away, is, is uh, harpoots. Har, I don't want to start quoting Greek. I'm about to do it, but I don't have it in my notes. But it is uh, it can mean a catching away. You could almost say, and some do, many do, as a matter of fact, that this falling away is actually a catching away. I believe there will be a falling away, an apostasy, but there will be a catching away before the Antichrist is revealed. 
That's my stand in Bible prophecy. And so a falling away comes first, and the man of sin is revealed, the son of perdition. These are, are names for the Antichrist. This Antichrist opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God or that is worshipped so that he sits, listen, as God. He sits as God in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. Okay, right after this was written, the temple was destroyed. The son of perdition never sat in the temple. The Antichrist never sit, sat in the temple. What does that tell us? That there will be a third temple. There has to be. There has to be a third temple in Jerusalem. Now, I grew up in church, y'all. I told y'all, I watched all these, these Left Behind movies and I'm talking about the predecessors of the Left Behind movies on the 16 millimeter. And then it gets hung up. Somebody's got to stop it and go, you know, and then it goes back. I watched these 16 millimeter movies on, on Jesus returning and back in the Jesus people stuff. It looked like everybody was a hippie in the movie. And, and, and Jesus... Uh, comes back and the people are left behind. There were guillotines involved. It was terrifying, you know. I've told you about it. But, but so I, I was raised, you know, around Bible prophecy. I heard a lot of Bible. We used to go to prophecy conferences. Anybody ever been to a prophecy conference? I, I tried to get Urban Baxter, even though we don't see eye to eye on everything. But I tried to get Urban Baxter here, and it was we couldn't do it. We couldn't make it happen. He's on TBN, a bunch of TV shows, and. And a magazine, great stuff, endtime.com. I tried to get Irvin here and, uh, and others, and uh, we just never made it happen. But I used to go to Bible prophecy conferences. That one guy is the one that would show the ICBMs blowing everybody up, and then he would wave and say, bye-bye, sinner friend. It was, like, terrifying. But, but the idea was this, that I always heard of a third temple. There has to be a third temple. There will be a third temple in Jerusalem. And then when she and I went to Jerusalem, we went on a tour. It wasn't a Christian tour. It was, guess what, a Jewish tour. We were in Israel. It was a Jewish tour. And they had this thing called the Temple Institute. We, we toured it. And they had all these pieces of furniture. They had the brazen altar. They had the menorah. They had all the pieces ready, and they, they told us they knew where the Ark of the Covenant, they had an Ark of the Covenant, the Ark of the Covenant. And they were ready to go. They were very sketchy about it, but they're like, yeah, yeah, we're ready. We're, we've got people trained in the sacrifices. What are you waiting on then? A temple. But we will have a third temple. They were telling me this. We will have, there is a movement, a temple movement. They will have a third temple. They will build that. A, a guy named Gershon Solomon, it's fascinating. He leads a procession every year, gets a giant cornerstone, puts it on a truck, and starts hauling it up the Temple Mount. You know what's on the Temple Mount, right? The Al-Aqsa Mosque, the Dome of the Rock. That's what we call Islam. It's, it's where, they, it's where the, the temple is supposed to be. And so Gershon Solomon will grab that stone and he'll start hauling it up the hill. They have to arrest him every year, shut him down. People start riding. People die. People go crazy. He offers a goat as a sacrifice, like symbolically, like 
we will have a third temple. They arrest him. He gets in all kinds of trouble. Cameras are all there, but he's pushing it. And there's a lot of speculation as to where that third temple could be placed. And if you, if you look very carefully at some of the drawings and some of the architectural plans, they think they can fit the Al-Aqsa Mosque, the Dome of the Rock, in the court of the Gentiles, which is the outer court, which it's okay to have Gentiles in that outer court. So they're thinking we could compromise, we could get a place for those holy Because, you know, if, if they were to try to tear those down, it would be World War III. You know that. And so they're saying we could include that, and what an ecumenical testament and statement. Who can make something that radical happen? I'll tell you who, somebody that has supernatural help from the dark side, someone like the Antichrist. He could make a covenant with Israel and say, I tell you what, let's make a deal. Let's build this temple, and they could put it up quick, y'all, quick. Let's build this temple. Let's include this in the outer court. What an ecumenical statement. And, 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 and so that temple is built, and then in the three and a half years, in the middle of the covenant. So listen, at the beginning, when they, when, they find, when they make the covenant, they build the temple, and they start offering sacrifice. And that's another thing you've got to consider too, and I'm wrapping this up. You've got to consider this. If they start offering sacrifices, I'm just going to tell you right now, you're going to have CNN, Fox News, MSNBC, CBS, ABC, everybody's going to be there. Al Jazeera, Al Jazeera BBC, everybody's going to be there filming. And, and there's going to be these guys out there dressed in funny robes and stuff with knives. And you're going to see, you know, Bambi and little sheep, you know, and put them on and off. And they're just like one after another. There's going to be blood everywhere. It's, uh, it's gruesome. You remember the whole purpose in the sacrifices, part of it, I think, was to demonstrate just how far Adam fell and just how gruesome the solution would be. It would be the Christ on the tree, marred beyond all recognition, the Lamb of God slain. And so here they are. They're blind to the fact that the Lamb has already come. And they're just like killing lambs, bulls and goats, just going through them left and right. And PETA and animal rights activist groups and the whole world and those of us who have never seen a slaughterhouse, we love steak, but we have no idea where it comes from. And somebody posts a video, we're like, oh, this is, in, this is inhumane. I mean, I get it. I get it. You don't want the little animal to suffer, you know, so... Just make sure you aim right there, you know. And everybody's going to be freaking out. But you've got this, you know, religious union that's formed and it's led by the genius of the Antichrist. But it says in the middle of the, of the seven years, he's going to break the covenant. And the sacrifices will cease and that's going to be caused by what is called the abomination of desolation. And so 
what's going to happen? How can he commit the abomination of desolation and cause the sacrifices and oblations to cease by walking into the temple and saying, I am Messiah. And those sacrifices are to stop when Messiah comes. So he walks in and he says, you can stop all that. CNN, Fox News, MSNBC, ABC, CBS, Al Jazeera, BBC, they're all there. Everybody's here. Sky News, man, they're all there filming. And he says, you can stop all this bloodshed. Now I am your Messiah. And like Antiochus Epiphanes, which was a small picture of this, this is the actual long-term fulfillment. He walks in and he says, stop it. I am your Christ. And then, as we shall see next time, all hell breaks loose on this earth. And it's going to end in a cosmic battle in the valley of Megiddo, known as the Battle of Armageddon. These things, y'all, are prophesied in your Bible. And they're, they're as much in black and white as, O Bethlehem Ephrata, you who are small, Messiah will come to you, in essence is what it says. He will come riding on the foal of a donkey. And he did to the exact day. As sure as those prophecies are, so are these. And, and these things will come to pass. I don't know exactly what it will look like, but I tell you what, it is now possible to be broadcast worldwide. Twitter, Periscope, if you still Periscope, Facebook Live, TikTok, Snapchat. Look, Messiah, you know, smiling. Hey, he's, you know, Messiah behind me. He's like, I'm Messiah. Here I am. And people will be blown away. But it will cause such destruction. So, uh, that was, yeah, that was the end of nine. So let's jump into chapter 10, verse 1, and that way I can say we finished 9 and we are in chapter 10. Verse 1, in the third year of Cyrus, king of Persia, a message was revealed to Daniel whose name was called Belteshazzar. The message was true, but the appointed time was long and he understood the message and had understanding of the vision. This is the third year of Cyrus. By this time, the first wave of exiles has already returned to Jerusalem under the leadership of Ezra. This is 537 BCE. The message was true. The appointed time was long. Daniel 10 is setting the stage for something spectacular in Daniel 11. And it's this, this great persecution, the testing of the people of Israel. Verse 2, in those days I, Daniel, was mourning three full weeks. I ate no pleasant food, no meat or wine came into my mouth nor did I anoint myself at all till three whole weeks were fulfilled. So here you have Daniel in mourning. Some say he's in mourning because there were so few of the exiles that returned to Jerusalem. Others believe that it was because there was persecution when it came to opposition, when it came to rebuilding that, that temple. Uh, Daniel did not go back with Ezra's group because at this time Daniel's 84 years old. And he could better serve them 
by his place in government. He had a very high place in government. And because of Daniel's age, Spurgeon says this. I think, too, that Daniel's sorrow was occasioned partly by the repetition of those words to him. The vision is true, but the time appointed is long. It's like I won't live to see all of this. He says, I ate no pleasant food, nor meat or wine came into my mouth. So here's the Daniel fast, y'all, right here. No pleasant food. That sounds just like the Daniel fast. No, no sugar, no bread, no pleasant food like dumplings and fried okra, honey butter biscuits. Verses 4 through 9. Now on the 24th day, we'll stop here. Now on the 24th day of the first month as I was by the side of the great river, that is the Tigris, I lifted my eyes and looked and behold a certain man clothed in linen whose waist was girded with gold of Euphaz. His body was like beryl, his face like the appearance of lightning, his eyes like torches of fire. His arms and feet were like burnished bronze in color and the sound of his words like the voice of a multitude. And I, Daniel, alone saw the vision for the men who were with me did not see the vision. But a great terror fell upon them so that they all fled to hide themselves. Therefore, I was left alone when I saw this great vision and had no strength in me, no strength remained in me. For my vigor was turned to frailty in me and I retained no strength. Yet I heard the sound of his words and while I heard the sound of his words, I was in a deep sleep on my face, with my face to the ground. So strange here. You have this man clothed in linen. I believe this is an angel, unnamed, high-ranking angel. He said, I alone saw the vision. His companions did not see it. Stand with me right now. It's like when Saul was on the road to Damascus. Remember, he heard a voice, saw a light. Saul, Saul, brighter than the noonday sun, this light. His companions could not hear the, the voice uh, from heaven uh, that he heard or see the light. They, they heard a ruckus, uh, but they didn't, they didn't catch the full scope of what was going on. Jesus, remember, heard a voice from heaven, and uh, it sounded like thunder to, to some, and then some others could understand it. So it's this idea that everybody doesn't know what's going on here. So he has some companions that, Daniel seeing something, they don't see it, but they feel it. Man, they're terrified. They're scared. And, and it looks like the reaction on his face was uh, something that was kind of scary uh, because he was, um, it, it, the wording in the Hebrew is that he was pale and looked like death. They're a little freaked out by what's going on, these grotesque, wrenching facial features. One writer comments on that. Daniel's completely undone by what's going on. and We're going to see that then this being touches Daniel with his hand and he receives strength. This is an angel of the Lord. And this is where we really get some insight into the way things look behind the veil of what we can see. Because we see that this angel begins to talk to Daniel and he says, Daniel, I've heard you from the first time you prayed. From the first word. He said, first of all, I'm here because of your words. Those were his prayers. Remember, Daniel has a lot to do with prayer. Your prayers are heard. The angel said, I am here because of your words. Your prayers have summoned me. I've been sent because of your prayers. So he shows up and he said, but I want you to understand I left the first moment that you began calling for help. 
But for 21 days, I faced opposition from the prince of Persia. This is a, an angel from the dark side, a fallen angel, that resisted one of God's holy angels in getting assistance to Daniel. So it's fascinating. We'll look more in detail at this. But just because you pray and you don't get an answer immediately or the help doesn't come immediately, it doesn't mean that that's a no from God. It could mean that there are things opposing the answer from getting to you. And what was Daniel's way of dealing with that? He just fasted and prayed until the answer came. 21 days he fasted and prayed. And finally the answer came. So we're going to look at what I call the dual kingdom next time. The prince of Persia. This is an angelic being from Persia. Iran. That being is still over that region. That being did not die. And it has an accumulated knowledge from before man ever came onto the earth. And so he has seen Daniel, and he has seen Muhammad. He saw those early Christians, then he saw Muhammad come along. and He's seen all those movements through the, through the ages. We deal with principalities right where we are. So we'll deal with that. But the bottom line is this. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they are mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. The truth of the matter is we do have help. And we have help in a way that Daniel really didn't in the fact that we've been filled with the baptism of the Holy Spirit and the mighty gifts of the Spirit course and flow through the life of the church in Jesus' name. Your prayers are powerful. They are effective. Don't be discouraged, Christian. There are more that are for us than are against us. Thank you for joining us today. We hope you were blessed. For more information on our church, Pastor Donovan, or service times, please visit our website at golifepoint.com.